We're John chapter seven. Let's get a running. Get right to the get a running start. Get right to the point there. I want to give us a running start. Remember, there were no chapters or verses in the original, so we're just going to pick her on up. Verse the the demonic verse of the Bible, John six six six. Because of many of because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. So Jesus asked the twelve, Do you also wish to go away? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, for he, though one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So we have Peter's affirmation here of who Jesus is and this forecasting of Judas in his role. After this, chapter 7, verse 1, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He did not wish to go about in Judea because the Jews were looking for an opportunity to kill him. Well, that's smart, Jesus. I mean, you know, they want to kill you. I don't recommend going around down there. Now the Jewish festival of booths, otherwise known as tabernacles, was near. That's not telephone booths. That's, that's the, the, the festival of, the, of tabernacles, uh, which took place in September-October period. Now the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, so his brothers, his brothers, his brothers, not soul brothers, not those 12 guys who hang around with him, his brothers, his Adelphoi, his brothers, I know of two, James and Jude. All right. There are others too, apparently. Now the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. They're gone. Didn't we just find out that Judea was not safe for him? Yes. And his brothers are saying, Go there. The miracle will be you get out of there alive or something. <laughs> Go to Judea so that your disciples also may see the works you're doing. They're gone. After having affirmed that Jesus is the Holy One of God, he has the words of eternal life, now they're gone. It opens up in chapter 7 with Jesus went about in Galilee. You know, do 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 do, -do. Around in Galilee. Hey, it's, it's the Feast of Tabernacles. Go to Judea so that your disciples may see the works you're doing. For no one who wants to be widely known acts in secret. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. They're taunting him. It does sound a little bit like Joseph's brothers, in a, in a sense. Jesus said to them, My time is not yet come. By the way, that's a very important statement. My time 
has not yet come. But your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify against it that its works are evil. Go to the festival yourselves. I am not going to this festival, for my time has not yet fully come. He says it twice. I'm not going to go to Judea. I'm not going to go to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles because my time has not yet come. That sounds like somebody trying to explain away his behavior. It sounds like he's saying, hey, I'm not ready yet. Yeah. <laughs> if I go down there, I'm going to get killed. But the writer is, is seeming to try to ex explain why he didn't step out. Yes, but you're going to see it again. This is extremely important. His reason for not going, as stated here, is this time's not ready. It's not time for him yet. If I go to Judea now, I'll get killed. I mean, that's what they're getting ready. They're seeking to kill him. After this, Jesus went around Galilee. He did not wish to go about in Judea because the Jews were looking for an opportunity to kill him. My time's not ready to get killed. If I go to Judea, I'll get killed, so I'm not going to go. My time is not yet. So what does he mean by the next thing, that your time is always here? My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. You can die anytime. <laughs> I gotta die at a certain time. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. It ain't my time to die. I gotta wait till Passover. It's a theological statement to begin with. It's also a statement of fact. If I go, I'll get killed. I'm not ready to be killed yet. It's not time. For other people, it's always their time. Yet, notice, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you. You don't have anything to worry about. You're not standing up there preaching in the temple. You're not healing people on the Sabbath day. You're not making the high priest and the Pharisees and the Sadducees pissed off at you. I yeah. think he's also talking to us because we are of this world. We're kind of like the brothers. Non-believers, unbelievers. At least before non-convinced. At least before we're redeemed. Yeah. Yeah. While skeptical. Yeah. While we, outside yet. Yeah. And we bow down to time. Yeah, that's true. We do. I think it's interesting that in the other gospels, you think this dialogue might have happened between Jesus and the disciples. Yeah. But here, the brothers are brothers. His, that's that's, the, that's right. what I was that's getting right. at. This is weird. This sounds like something between him and Thomas, or. You know, not, not, you know, his brothers. But after, verse 10, but after his brothers had gone to the festival, then he also went, not publicly, but as it were in secret. Secret age. <laughs> Incognito. He was wearing his Groucho Marx glasses with the mustache. Yes. The Jews were looking for him at the festival and saying, Where is he? And there was considerable complaining about him among the crowds, while some were saying, He is a good man. 
Others were saying, no, he is deceiving the crowd. Yet no one could speak openly about him for fear of the Jews. So there's just under this is current undercurrent of murmuring about him and arguing back and forth, but no one is standing up and making public pronouncements about it for fear of the Jews. Who are everybody. <laughs> well, yeah, <all> there. Only <laughs> <laughs> the people there, but all I could go either way, couldn't it? The Jews are the bad guys here in this parish. For fear of the Jews. The Jews. Sounds like Matthew writing. It does kind of sound a little bit like Matthew, doesn't it? A little bit of an echo of that attitude, uh, a little bit of, of um, frustration with the uh, synagogue Jews of their day, possibly. Still kind of functioning there. About the middle of the festival, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. He just couldn't stand it. <laughs> Listen to all this judgment for claiming. I have to go sit around. He goes up in the temple and he begins. Jesus, you're supposed to be incognito. You're supposed to be in here in secret. What are you doing getting up in public and preaching? You said you weren't going to go because if you went, it wasn't your time. You knew you'd get. So why are you doing this? It's a little frustrating. About the middle of the festival, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews were astonished at it, saying, How does this man have such learning hmm. when he has never been taught. Kind of reminds me of what happened in Luke when Jesus as a kid was at the temple and they were astonished at his understanding. They don't recognize him. Now you got to remember they didn't have television or movies or photography. You know, they didn't have these wanted posters sitting around with <laughs> Jesus and his face sitting there. They didn't have that. So... It's, you know, I can see that maybe if he didn't have his retinue of disciples with him and all, and everybody's saying, hey, that's Jesus, well, maybe he could kind of, and, and, you know, and he was careful, maybe he could get away with doing this. The Jews were astonished, and as you said, that's everybody. <laughs> the Jews well, no, I, I don't think were, it is. You know, I, I, I yeah. just scanned ahead. It is and it isn't. 25, the, he refers to everybody else as the people of Jerusalem. Whereas the Jews are in contradistinction, and yet, and yet, all of, and yet, all of the people of Jerusalem are going to be Jews, especially this time of year. But, but it seems to me the Jews are the opposition when he refers to the men. Thank you. The Jews. Jews. The Jews reference, as I was saying a moment ago, that element within Jewish society that opposed Jesus, i.e., similar to that element of Jewish culture that had not accepted Jesus as the Messiah post-resurrection period when this is written. You know, the Jews that threw the Christian Jews out of the synagogue, for instance. The Jews, that grouping. There's Jews and then there are Jews. Jews. <laughs> okay. Those murdered Jews <laughs> who killed our Savior. If you've been to Israel in modern time, there are Jews, and then there are Jews. <laughs> Whoever has the black trench coat and black hat franchise for Jerusalem is going to make a killing, my friends. I mean, the guy, <laughs> with all the guys running around with the hats and the fur hats and all in the middle of the summer, there must be nuts and all. And, but there are Jews, and then there are Jews, and that kind of thing is what you're hearing here. Okay. What's the deal on them? They're making such a, it looks like it's a big deal about him. 
you know, he did this without studying. Like Pete says, you're in a Jewish town. You're in I don't know who he is. How do they not know he... Why would you consider somebody up here that's Here's giving some these great stuff? There's some guy who they do not know who stands up in the temple and starts to preach. Wearing Galilean peasant clothing. Pretty much, them. yeah. A Gal- with a Galilean accent, probably. Gets up and starts a yakking. So they assumed he wasn't. He had studied. Yeah. They thought he was from Texas. Uh, <laughs> South Jerusalem. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. We saw the star. We know he's from Texas. We saw the star. (laughs) That's true. That's true. That's true. (laughs) About the middle of the festival, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews were astonished at it, saying, How does this man have such learning when he has never been taught? We haven't seen his Ph.D., we don't know that he has scholarship. We don't know what rabbis he studied under. He, he, he didn't study under Gamaliel. He's not some well-noted Pharisee, uh, uh, synagogue teacher. At least Jesus had a following of guys who said, this is our guru. And it was known up in the hinterland up there in Galilee as uh, a, a rabbi of note. I mean, at least he had that. This guy don't have nobody. How does this man have such learning when he has never been taught? Then Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Anyone who resolves to do the will of God will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. Those who speak on their own seek their own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true and there is nothing false in him. In other words, if God's called you, if God is your master, then you're going to listen to me and you're going to know that I'm not preaching my own stuff. I'm preaching God's stuff. I'm not giving glory to me. I'm giving glory to God. I mean, if you really are in the know, you're going to know. This already sounds like Jesus. This already sounds like Jesus. From elsewhere in John. <laughs> did not did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? He just threw a hand grenade. <laughs> did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? What did he say? <laughs> Why are you looking for an opportunity to kill me? Huh? What? Jesus forgot he was incognito. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why are you looking for an opportunity to kill me? The crowd answered, Have you a demon? Who's trying to kill you? They were curious about it too. Jesus answered them, I performed one work, and all of you are astonished. Moses gave you circumcision. It is, of course, not from Moses, but from the patriarchs. Yet you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath in order to keep that the law of Moses may not be broken, you are angry with me because I healed a man's whole body on the Sabbath. Well, he's, he's giving it away. Y'all are ticked off at me because I healed a guy on the Sabbath. You want to kill me because I healed a God on the Sabbath. Yet y'all circumcise guys on the Sabbath. So that would have well, a lot was of... Was that a routine practice or is it yeah. an exception? Oh. Yeah. That's a lot of... You know, that would have a lot of logic, validity. 
Uh-huh. If we had established that they knew this was Jesus, and well, they know it's not. We Jesus. just established that they didn't know. Jesus is so up there. No Jesus is right up there, there preaching. They have no idea right. who it is that's talking. They're going, I d- he has a demon in him. We don't want to kill him. Who's trying to kill him? Why does he think people are trying to kill him? This and then like he keeps on, and exactly. he keeps on. Bigger demon, actually. He keeps on and says, y- y'all, you're, you're upset because I healed folk on the Sabbath day. And they don't even know who he is. He's for, it's almost, it's almost, yeah. as it sounds like, John it's John almost John. as if he's forgotten that he's incognito. Mm-hmm. Take off the Groucho Mark glasses <laughs> and mustache, Jesus. So they can see who it is. Well, they figured it out. They remember. Uh, yeah. They know. You have to admit the the whatever it is the, the the connection between circumcising and healing uh-huh. you know, is is a loose one to say the least. Well, I mean, it's kind of like <laughs> we well, need a healing from one. the circumcision. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there you go. It's, it's um, well, both I mean, are like both. There was an incident or something. The concepts are both. Both are fulfilling God's word, God's law, in a sense. You can do a work on the Sabbath day like a circumcision, and in so doing, fulfill God's will. His Jesus' healing on the Sabbath day also fulfills God's will. Yet you're ticked off at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath day and not ticked off about circumcising on the Sabbath day. Ooh. But you have to, you have to make it... Yeah, have to draw the connection. Assume or accept that the healing is somehow a spiritual thing because circumcision is is basically a spiritual act. Yes, it's a it, healing is could be a physical act. Yeah, well, it's a both act. Somebody had to lift that knife. That's work. <laughs> but Jesus healed this man without lifting a finger. And the one he's talking about only with faith. So that's not work. So he was following the rules of the Sabbath. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. You're really you're you're <laughs> stretching it. Yeah. Well, make <laughs> a good Jewish lawyer. Notice the aside in there, um, where Jesus said, um, "Moses, verse twenty-two. This is putting Jesus's lips. Moses gave you the cir- gave you circumcision, and then in well, mine it goes into a parenthesis and says, at, like an aside, mm-hmm. it is of course not from Moses but from the patriarchs. If you take that out, the sentence runs perfectly, especially in Greek. Moses gave you circumcision, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Well, of course, Moses didn't give circumcision. That comes from Abraham. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's corrected in here. It is, of course, not from Moses, but from the patriarchs. So it's almost mm-hmm. as if John is kind of fixing something there. Yeah. Maybe yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Jesus said that, or people are saying Jesus said that. Yeah. John's fixing, yeah. What he sees as a mistake, obviously. Well, he's, he's stating a fact that it came from the patriarchs, came from, from, from Abraham. Why would you put Moses in there in the first place then? Well, maybe because he codified it. Because he? Moses codified it within the law as the process for how to do it. It became part of the law. It predated the law, but then became part of the law. Circumcision was um, an interesting uh, fact. <laughs> it was an, a sign of membership within the Hebraic, uh, the the, the community that the descendants of Abraham were circumcised and then in the Mosaic Covenant it was codified as an element within the law so in that sense yes but it actually predated Moses 
But still, that's interesting. In the same way that uh, tithing is also predated. Tithing predates the law, yet was codified within the law. Yeah. Lots of elements were predated the law, but then became codified within the law. Mm -hmm. Lots of elements. Lots, lots of features of the Jewish Hebraic life. It's, it's, I mean, if you take it all away, it's, it's circumcision on the Sabbath is done to affect God's will as expressed in the law, and my healing is done to express oh, yeah. God's oh, yeah. will through who yeah. I am and who's, you know, what's, what's happened here. This, yeah. This is kind of to, to, to draw it out within the Jehanine references, uh, the, 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 Circumcision is done as an expression of God's will through God's word. I am God's word, and I am healing on the Sabbath day, and there should not be a problem with that. Well, and your last, you didn't read that last uh, part yet. of the verse. <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. He's telling them it's, it's not about whether it's circumcision or, or healing. It's, you're looking at the wrong thing. Sure. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath in order that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because I, am he I healed a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. The whole body thing kind of diverts the argument, you know, that brings it down to the physical aspects of it, you know, the... Uh, he is defending himself, and yet he's incognito. It's really weird. Now, some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is not this the man whom they are trying to kill? They figured it out. They sussed it out. And here he is speaking openly. Uh, but they say nothing to him. I love the next line. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Messiah? Conspiracy theory! <laughs> we got a conspiracy here! The Sanhedrin knows this is really the Messiah, so they're letting him talk. But, he, you know, that, that, I can't, we can't explain any other reason why it happened that way. Conspiracy theory! Conspiracy theory! <laughs> Yet, we know where this man is from. But when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Huh? What? 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 Now that's kind of weird. And do they really know where he's from? I mean, <laughs> that's a good question. Then Jesus cried out as he was teaching in the temple, You know me, and you know where I am from. I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true, and you do not know him. <laughs> I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. No wonder this. Then they tried to arrest him. Note, but no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. Now that's kind of weird. Look. If no one could lay hands on him because this hour had not yet come, then why didn't he go down to Judea on tabernacles when his brother suggested it anyway? I mean, he said, I'm not going to go because my hour has not yet come. He said it twice. And here it says, when they decided to try to lay on hands to arrest him, they couldn't do it because his hour had not yet come. 
And, and this is at the Feast of the Tabernacles. This is happening, right? Or not? Uh, we don't, yeah. yeah, the Festival of the Tabernacles. But if he had arrived, arrived with his brothers, would he have had that opportunity to teach? Probably not. Had he been identified, and then so then we wouldn't have this. They would have gem. probably managed theoretically. They would have managed to arrest him, and that would possibly be the fear. And yet, it's interesting: the very fact that his time had not yet come is given as the reason why they could not arrest him. Here, well, I've seen, I mean, I've seen stories like this where this happens, and then then the fog descends on. And yeah, and he walks away yeah, from the crowd at the far, precipice right. in Nazareth and doesn't get thrown off the cliff. Yeah, that, that kind of stuff happens. Uh, you could say it was because of all the crowd around him. They couldn't get through to the crowd to get to Jesus, to lay hands on him, to arrest him. That's not what it says. It says because his hour had not yet come, they couldn't do it. Well, if that was going to be the case, then why was he reticent to go down anyway? I, I, it seems to me to that was that was some kind secret. of an issue he wanted to go in that was going on at the time. That they tried to explain away, you know, about why why he didn't get out more or step out or preach out. You know, they, they tried to deal with it here. You have multiple layers mm -hmm. of interpretation here. And I think that's what we have going on. Multiple layers. There's some way in which his hour has not yet come is the reason why they couldn't arrest him. Fundamentally, that was the reason. At least that was how they understood it. And yet at the same time, was part of the reason why he went in secret. Okay, let, 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 we, there's going to be more to this. Let's, I want you to see it. Because this, this issue doesn't appear in the other Gospels, does it? About not like that. Get out there. No, it's not my time yet. He get would say, keep, this a, keep the proclamation about my Messiahship a secret because my time is not yet. That idea is there, but it's not the same as this. Yet many in the crowd believed in him and were saying, when the Messiah comes, will he do more signs than this man has done? I mean, this, this has to be the Messiah. I mean, when the Messiah actually comes, is it going to do any more than what he's already done? It must be him. Then the Pharisees, the Pharisees heard the crowd, verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering such things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple police to arrest him. <laughs> Jesus then said, I will be with you a little while longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. Well, that's rather an autumn statement right there. You, you will search for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion amongst the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will search for me and you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? Well, that's a good question. That's a good question. Guess what? No answer. <laughs> They ask a good question. Now, we know what he means. He's getting ready to go back to God. He's, he, he, his time, he has a little while left, but then he's going to go back to God, i.e., he's going to die and be raised and ascend into heaven. On the last day of the festival, the great day, when Jesus was standing there, he cried out, Let anyone who... Uh, 
if you, they haven't figured it out that this is Jesus yet, they're, getting, they're gonna get it. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. I'm sorry, I've heard this sermon before, Jesus. You're doing a rerun. This is the woman at the well sermon now. Come on, this is a rerun. That was only a few chapters ago. You know, you need to go to a lectionary and keep yourself up to date. <laughs> These reruns, you're going to get in trouble with the staff parish committee. Um, out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the spirit, which believers in him were to receive. Okay, this is really weird. For as yet there was no spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Other ancient authorities read, for as yet the Spirit, or Holy Spirit, had not yet been given. Well, that's kind of weird because way back in Genesis chapter 1, it says the Spirit of God flooded over the surface of the waters. And we had prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking for God. We had the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus and God saying, this is my beloved Son. In him I will please listen to him. We've got lots of instances of the Holy Spirit's presence in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Well, Saul, and, uh, Saul and a lot of others, were, you know, the statement is made, the Spirit of God clothed himself with that person. Yeah. Prophets, Saul, David, Solomon in his wisdom. Yeah. Gideon. Gideon. Yes. Uh, it's a fascinating statement, therefore. What might it mean for the passage here to read? Now, he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive. For as yet there was no Spirit, Holy Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, they're connecting it to that glorified. They're connecting it to the Jesus event of mm -hmm. death, resurrection, and ascension. So what might that mean? There's something different about the Holy Spirit that's going to be received? Well, at Pentecost, uh, they received the Spirit, right? Yes, they received so it. He may be talking to the Spirit with him, but not hasn't been given. He, it says, because my Bible says that they will later receive. Right. Um, the general interpretation here is that the reference is to the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit that Christians has as opposed to the temporary indwelling that Jews had had up to that time. Well, and you can see in the disciples' actions before Pentecost and after Pentecost, the Spirit changed. Oh, the change in their yeah. lives, what we call, what we call in, in, in uh, Christian theology sanctification, where, where people actually are changed, transformed through a continual contact with the Holy Spirit in their lives. Um, in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come and go. The Spirit would fall upon a prophet, he'd speak, then the Spirit would leave. The Spirit would fall upon Saul, then leave. The Spirit was not a continual thing with people. The Spirit came and went. It, we even have that referenced in the Spirit comes and goes with the wind, like the wind blows yeah. as it wishes. That idea is very Jewish in Old Testament style. What you have in the New Testament from Pentecost on is this idea that the Spirit comes and stays. 
that's a change in the nature of the function of the Holy Spirit, at least relative to us. So this, this statement, uninterpreted that way, is, is problematic then, I guess. The, the statement is problematic. Yeah. No. Unless you understand yet. it as a interpretation of a different role for the Holy Spirit in the life of believers, you got a real problem because the Spirit's definitely present. So it has usually been interpreted as, well, this is what they mean by that, that there is a change in the role of the function of the Holy Spirit relative to members of the community of faith, relative to Christians. But they're, they're pinpointing Jesus. That's really neat, and that's great. You know, I Pinpointing Jesus as a result of that, because Jesus gives the Holy Spirit. It does, but it, it also reads, if you reverse it, that he didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. Well, if you reverse it, is it the true or is it not true? You know, it's if you saying here it, that Jesus doesn't then, have the spirit. Yeah, it does. He hasn't been sanctified. He hasn't been glorified yet. He's got that temporary well, spirit. It just lights comes and that, goes. If they, he hasn't given it because he hasn't been glorified. He still. It has says it. believers in him. Now he, he said he goes in an advocate. Now he yeah. said that this about the spirit which believers in him were to receive. This is anticipatory. For as yet there was no spirit, because Jesus had not yet right. was not Jesus yet glorified. No, no such spirit is what, what they would like. To no yeah. such spirit yeah. as would become such. known by Christians at Pentecost and beyond. That nature of God's Holy Spirit is not yet known amongst people. It's the spirit who comes and goes they know, not the spirit who comes and stays. And it is directly connected to Jesus in his yeah. glorification and his giving. The end of John's Gospel, he breathes on them. In the Acts of the Apostles, the Holy Spirit descends at Pentecost, and they all receive the Holy Spirit. And that's, uh, the, the, however you understand the two different methods of impartation of the Holy Spirit, the idea is it comes through Jesus. Um, in Christian theology of the Trinity, you've got the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes from the Father, well, it depends on who you ask. Um, <laughs> through it, 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 in the, the, the common position that the, both the East and the West accept is through the Son. Now, of course, the church kind of adjusted it. The Western church adjusted it and added and. So it's and the Son. Uh, but, um, but in reality, the East would say through the Son, and the West would say, well, yeah, that's what we mean. <laughs> well, then why didn't you let us put it together in a council session and we do it all together instead of just by fiat saying, I'm Pope, I get to decide, which is what split the church East and West a thousand years ago between orthodoxy in the East and Catholicism in the West. Um, they don't disagree on the theology. They disagree on who gets to make the statement. <laughs> that's actually ridiculous, but it's act resulted in excommunication at two different churches, one of the other. So... Um, it, it's a, it, that that verse thirty nine. I'm sure that there have been plenty of dissertations written on the subject <laughs> in ancient times and today. It's a problem if you understand it woodenly and without nuance. And it's clear that the author understood it with nuance because of these references to which believers in him were to receive the role of the Spirit within the Christian community was somewhat different than the role of the Spirit within the Jewish community. And that is something that they would know about. When they heard these words, 
Some in the crowd said, This is really the prophet. Others said, This is the Messiah. But some asked, Surely the Messiah does not come from Galilee, does he? <laughs> Again. Has not the scripture said that the Messiah is descended from David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David lived? So there was a division in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Well, if they just had that birth story in Bethlehem. Yeah, no if they knew about Luke and Matthew David. and the story about him being born in Bethlehem, okay. it's problem solved. That's right. Isn't that interesting? Uh, Instead, these, these people are saying, ooh, icky-poo, nothing comes out of Galilee that's worth anything. I mean, that's flyover country. That's, you know, that, you, you got to come from San Francisco or New York. You can't come from Texas and be Messiah. You know, that's to translate that it into modern terms. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of what you're going to see next. Then the temple police went back to the chief priest. Remember, they were sent to arrest him. Then the temple police went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees <laughs> who asked them, why did you not arrest him? And the police answered, never has anyone spoken like this. Then the Pharisees replied, surely you have not been deceived too, have you? Has any one of the authorities or of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd, which does not know the law, they are accursed. Look, the educated folk, Pharisees, the temple, scholars, none of them believe in him. Only these riffraff believe in him and think he's important. They're just a bunch of damned idiots anyway. They're accursed. That's what it says. They're accursed. They're just stupid. Damn stupid. <laughs> Uh-oh. Nicodemus. Oh, darn. <laughs> Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus <laughs> before, and who was one of them, asked, Our law does not judge people without first giving them a hearing to find out what they are doing, does it? And they replied, Surely you are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and you will see that no prophet is to rise from Galilee. Nicodemus, you're not from Texas, are you? You're a good New Yorker, right? You know, you're good. You're good Los Angeles, right? I mean, you're not. You're not from flyover country in the middle, are you? No, no. You, nothing good comes from there. Nothing good comes from Galilee. Uh -uh. Nicodemus, shh, hush. Nothing good comes from there. No, Messiah is certainly not going to come from Galilee. Oh, no, 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 no. Has to come from Bethlehem. Has to come from Jerusalem. And good scholars, they don't think that Jesus is that guy. Just, only the stupid crowd believes that. It seems to me there's a motif that runs through here that kind of disparages or... Uh, I mean, John is trying to point out that issues of Jesus' origins, whether it's his biological origins with his brothers, you know, they have no influence on him, you know, he's going to do it his way, Right. the hell with them, you know. And then they wanted him to go and he didn't want, he said he wasn't going to go, they went and then he went too, he went his he own way. He was yeah. ready, you know, was written, that wasn't. and he, he keeps talking about, you know, don't you know where I'm from, you know, 
And then here they're still back to, well, is it Galilee or is it Bethlehem or Nazareth or wherever, you know. Uh-huh. The point is that that isn't his story, and maybe that's why birth narratives aren't here either, because that's not the story that's being told. That's not the important story. This is, this is like John or whomever, whichever one of these Johns is doing this, that layers, uh-huh. is just setting forth all these arguments and then answering them for you. Yeah, well, that's exactly what he's doing. He's done that again and again and again throughout the gospel. He's yeah. doing it again here. Yeah, it's, it's extreme. That extreme front loading you're talking about. Yeah, I would have never known about the spirit going. You know, him getting. No, you wouldn't. Have. You can't know that from this. I mean, we got a rerun sermon here. I mean, but it sets up exactly. the statement about John about the Holy Spirit. Rather, this rerun sermon sets up the statement about the Holy Spirit. You know. <laughs> well, he's not bothered by chronology or anything like. One of those people who heard him before heard him. <laughs> <laughs> Still, so thirsty, I mean, yeah. yeah, maybe they are still. Well, certainly, they are still thirsty. After all, they're whining about in. Hmm. Well, remember, there's no chapter or verse. There's no chapter or verse, and in all likelihood, you go from verse 52. They replied, "Surely you are not." This arrogant statement. Surely you are not also from Galilee, are you? <laughs> well, he didn't suggest that, by the way. They just sort of apply, you know, guilt by association kind of thing. Uh, search and you will see that no prophet uh, is to arise from Galilee. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Huh? Wait a minute. You just lost, you just skipped a whole bunch of verses. Yep. Because in the oldest copies we've got, it yeah. does that. Now, my NRSV has verses 53 of chapter 7 through chapter 8, verse 11 in brackets. And it has them there for a reason. It's because this is one of the most famous floating additions to the New Testament. The pericope of the adulteress. This comes from Bruce Metzger's A Textual Commentary on the Greek New Testament. The evidence for the non-Jahannine origin of the pericope of the adulteress is overwhelming. uh, I I, I would agree. It is absent from such early and diverse manuscripts as Papyrus 66 and 75, from Sinaiticus Vaticanus L, N, T, W, X, Y, Delta, Theta, Psi, and the numbered manuscripts 0141, 0211, 22, 33, A and C are defective in this part of John. They don't actually have the text. But it is highly probable that neither contain the pericope, the, the passage, the paragraph, for careful measurement discloses that there would not have been enough space on the missing leaves to include the section along with the rest of the text. Assuming the same writing style, the same margins, the same letter size, and you would assume that because that's the, that's the way they did it, there simply is not enough room on the missing leaf for there to have been this pericope in place. And that's true for Codex Alexandrinus and Codex C. But it is highly probable that neither contain the pericope for care, I already read that. Uh, In the East, the passage is absent from the oldest form of the Syriac version. 
including the best manuscripts of the Syriac Shedah, as well as from the Sahidic and the Sub-Ahimic versions of the Old Boharic manuscripts, some Arminian manuscripts and the Old uh, Georgian version omitted. That's not Georgia Tech, the United States, that's Georgia <laughs> in the East. Um, in the West, the passage is absent from the Gothic version and from several old Latin manuscripts, including the really important A, L, and Q editions. No Greek church father prior to Euthemius, 12th century AD, comments on the passage, and Euthemius declares that the accurate copies of the gospel do not contain it. When one adds to this impressive and diversified list of external evidence, the consideration that the style and vocabulary of the pericope differ notably from the rest of the fourth gospel, and that it interrupts the sequence of 752 and 812 and following, the case against it being of Johannine authorship appears to be conclusive. At the very same time, the account has all the earmarks of historical veracity. It is obviously a piece of oral tradition which circulated in certain parts of the Western Church and which was subsequently incorporated into various manuscripts at various places. Most copyists apparently thought that it would interrupt John's narrative least if it were inserted after chapter 7, verse 52. And then there's a list of manuscripts that do that, like D, E, F, G, H, K, M, U, uh, G, P, 28, and just a bunch of others. Others placed it after chapter 7, verse 36, or after chapter 7, verse 44, or after chapter 21, verse 25, or after Luke, chapter 21, verse 38. Significantly, um, enough, in many of the witnesses which contain the passage, it is marked with asterisks or obi, indicating that although the scribes included the account, they were aware that it lacked satisfactory credentials. In the study of textual manuscripts, it's obvious when you have a passage like this that's not original, when especially it floats around in the manuscript textual copa. Uh, one manuscript has it at one space, one manuscript has it in another space, one manuscript has it in John, the other manuscripts have it in Luke. It, it floats around a lot. Also, when that pericope itself, when that passage, has lots of variations within it, so that the reading is not the same from copy to copy to copy, but has lots of variations, lots of marginal notations, lots of notes by the scribe saying this isn't original, all that kind of stuff. It, it's like neon signs saying, warning! Danger, Will Danger. Robinson. This is not original. And, and, and that's what we have here. We have throughout the textual copa, when it is in place in the manuscript, there's usually a mark by the scribe saying, this ain't real. This isn't part of the original. And then you have the fact that it floats around. Sometimes it's in one verse. Sometimes it's another verse. Sometimes it's in Luke. And, and that's fascinating. It, it bounces around the go from gospel to gospel, from John to Luke, and around within John. Those so are all... Another, so it's in different places than some John manuscripts. In, yeah, uh, uh, in some manuscripts, it's found at uh, verse 52, like it is here. In others, it's found beginning at verse 36, 736. So where... That's good. That makes sense. It, it comes right in after 
Where am I that you cannot come? And instead of verse 37, on the last day of the festival, they insert it there. In uh, 744, somewhat, some manuscripts included at seven, uh, after 744, before the, the temple police go back to the chief priests mm -hmm. and the Pharisees. They put it there. Some put it in chapter 21, verse 25, and, uh, right, at, right after verse 25. Some put it at Luke 21, verse 38. Insert it there. That fact that it floats around is another hallmark of a passage that's been added. It's not Jehanine in character in terms of the actual language used. The grammar, the vocabulary is non-Jehanine. And uh, actually, it sounds more like Luke um, in Greek, although it's probably not Luke. And it does sound more like Luke. Um, there's no question that it doesn't belong in John originally. And yet, there, I, dis, I do not disagree with the decision of the scholars who do most of the translations who go ahead and include it here. Why? Because it needs to be included somewhere. The traditional location is here for most of the churches, here. And I agree with them that there's absolutely no question that it's authentic, that it's an authentic saying of Jesus. The, uh, even, even, uh, even our friends in the Jesus Seminar agree that it's an authentic event of Jesus. And so, you know, I do believe that it belongs and should be recorded in the Gospels. And you could stick it over in Luke if you wanted to. You could set it independently if you wanted to. But the easiest place is just to put it where the Western lectionary puts it. And that's smack dab in the middle of John's. How to be getting Godspell, do we know? Well, like all those other parables from Luke, <laughs> it's a good story. I mean, that, that calling Godspell, the gospel according to St. Matthew, Boy, was a misnomer. It sure is. <laughs> is there, well, any, you know, is there ever any popular representation of the gospel story that does not include no, this? No, because it's a very, very powerful story. Yeah, it, because, I mean, Luke, you know, puts it admits he's just pulling it all yeah, together. Pull, exactly. you know, so he's going to... His stories mm -hmm. are coming from other people anyway. Yep. Whereas this one is, this is John's interpretation and somebody uh, coming along afterwards. And sticking and, it in. Sticking it in because they like it. The oh, oldest copies of John's weird. Gospel that we have do not have it. The broadest reflect, uh, representation of manuscripts from all textual types do not have it. The early Byzantine type doesn't have it. That's a neat story. Why wouldn't he have included it if he knew from verbal tradition? Good question. Maybe, maybe John didn't know it from the oral tradition. It's he a western. It. It's a western. It, it shows up first in the western texts in copies that come from the west, in the Latin especially, which tells you that it's something that circulated around amongst the western Christians, the Christians in Rome, the Christian, the Christians in Carthage, the, the, the Christians on the western side of the empire seem to be the ones who first circulated the story. Which means that it, it could be, you know, you, you could say that it's a story maybe that, that comes from the, the early, you know, something maybe Peter pre uh, told, uh, didn't make it in Mark, therefore didn't make it into the other Gospels because the other Gospels were written in the East. <laughs> um, but it was a story that was common in Rome and in Carthage and other areas in the West and therefore got drafted into the Gospels. No Greek church father prior to Euthenius, 12th century, comments on the passage. Though, but, it, but it's present in the, in the Old Latin from a fairly early period. 
it's lacking in the earliest, most important, but it does show up by like the third and fourth century in some of the Latin manuscripts. It's certainly present in the Vulgate, so you could say that Jerome Vulgate, commented yeah. on it. <laughs> but did, did it come from Titus, Peter's assistant? It, it could have come from any of the people who followed along with, with one of the apostles who heard it. That, I think that's probably likely. And it would be somebody who ended up in the West. And there were a bunch of them. There were a bunch of them. So I, I think John thought he had dealt with this story when he had the Samaritan woman story. Yeah, in a way, it would almost make sense to stick it there, wouldn't it? Because yeah. it does well, kind pretty of... Much, pretty much, I mean, yeah. this thing about you've had five husbands is sort <laughs> of about adultery. Well, in a way, yeah. The, uh, and he certainly doesn't throw any rocks at her. The, uh, <laughs> and that uh, she, she definitely is, is the one who gets the word and blessed and so forth. So I think he thought, you know, he didn't need it to tell he, it this way. He addressed it already in that sense. I see what was, you're saying. Was this much more mm -hmm. as a, a Luke approach to this story, which is which passion for the individual. Right. Which is part of the reason why some people who have tried to identify an, a, an actual gospel author for it have tried to assign it to Luke in one way or another. But the oldest copies of Luke don't have it. <laughs> Let's read it. You have a transition, verse 53. Then each of them went home. Huh? Let's read it back in context. <laughs> Let's read it back in context. They replied, surely you are not also from Galilee. Remember, this is the response to Nicodemus when he says, look, we've got to have charges. We've got to have a hearing. If we're going to do anything to him, we've got to have a hearing. And they said, <laughs> you're not from Galilee, are you? Search and you will see that no prophet is to arise from Galilee. Then each of them went home. I guess they had to go watch Law and Order. Or <laughs> they had to go home and watch. They, yeah. they need to see the, the, the latest, the latest chariot races on, on ESPN. Um, then each of them went home, while Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Okay, that's well. Okay. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. So he went to the Mount of Olives and sat under an olive tree all night. I guess. I don't know. That's kind of strange, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. Notice this is taking place in the temple. Now, every time I've seen this in the movies, it's depicted as being out on some dusty street somewhere, usually in Galilee. Yeah. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and... Did you notice that? All the people came to him and sat down and began and he began to teach them. It's not the Jews, it's not just no, the Jews. It's all, all the, people. the people. That's a rather it's a blanket statement by the <laughs> yeah. way. That's a lot of people. It, 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 don't don't take it literally as an inclusive statement. <laughs> all right. Otherwise you got a real problem. <laughs> all the people came to him and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees well, they were there, brought a woman. Well, not all the people were sitting there to begin with, okay? There was at least one woman and one man who were doing something. <laughs> all the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Now, usually when you catch someone in adultery, you've got two or more. Why is it just the woman? I mean, there ought to be a guy there too, right? 
The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. It just wasn't known about her. They didn't you know, see her shingle in the red light district and go get her. No, they caught her in the, they claimed, in the very act of committing adultery. They had to, though, didn't they? Wasn't that Jewish law? You had to catch somebody in the act of whatever it was? Now, <laughs> now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They said this to test him, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. That almost sounds contextual with what we just heard, which might be the reason why it was placed here. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No, sir. No one, sir. No one, Lord, is the Greek rendering, but it means sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. And then you got the next sentence. I am the light of the world. He's back to the course. Back to the thing. Yeah. Click, click. It's just really out of context. The commercial break. And then exactly. <laughs> Come back from commercial, then we get Jesus saying, one of the I am statements. I am the light of the world. Now. Wow. Powerful story. Do you see why it survived? It's a very powerful story, extremely powerful story. There's no question, based on this character, that it's authentic. That, that's obvious. The basics of the story can really not be challenged. So you, get, you can look at some of the elements within it. I am always curious, they bring the woman, but not the guy they caught her with, or guys they caught her with. Well, I mean, were men stoned for adultery in those The times? penalty for adultery was the same. You caught in the act of adultery, both die. Well, couldn't one of you be an adulteress and the other one not? As hmm. long as you're not married? Well, if the guy wasn't married, if the woman is not married and the guy is, guess what? She's an adulteress because she is violating the right. marriage covenant between the man and his wife. If she is married and the man is not, then she's still an adulteress, right. and so is he, an adulterer, because you're violating the marriage covenant that she has. One side or the other, it doesn't matter either, if either side. Now, if neither side are married, you don't have adultery, you just have fornication, and that's something different. That's also a stonable offense. 
that or unless they marry the, huh unless they marry well yeah they well, unless married. it's the process of marriage yes yeah. exactly you're gonna get married in a hurry yeah. <laughs> well that does it yeah. you come unto her and then you are no um, question yeah. look most interpreters from Gregory the Great on because I know he commented on it because he said this was Mary Magdalene idiot Gregory the Great um, he said that the names that Jesus, the, what, what Jesus was writing in the ground, on the dirt on the ground was actually the names of her client list. <laughs> that would do it. <laughs> James, son of Alpha. <laughs> and they're all standing there. Mm -hmm. And they're seeing what he's writing. And then he says, let the one who's without sin be the first to cast a stone at her. And the names he's writing in the dust are their names who are her clients and probably amongst them standing there with the rock in his hand is the one she was caught with but good old boy network you know nudge nudge wink wink, wink, wink nudge, nudge. say no more you know we'll get rid of her and then we get rid of the evidence against us kind of bit uh, his interpretation at that point is I think not all that bad uh, his about a movie of the week. Yeah, <laughs> it does actually work, doesn't it? Now to say this is Mary Magdalene is wrong, but yeah. but that's already been repented by the church. The, the, the Pope Pope John Paul II said that. Oh, sorry, that was a mistake. <laughs> Gregory was wrong, but um, uh, thank God he didn't say it ex cathedra. <laughs> his his identification of what Jesus was writing is not necessarily off based on the context of the story. He was writing something. He wasn't just doodling. And that writing has a specific role to play within the context of the story because he goes back to it after making a statement. Let anyone among you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And no, no rock went screaming by Jesus' head and smacked against the woman <laughs> and he didn't turn and say, Mom! <laughs> uh, that's the wrong Catholic joke. No, that didn't happen. Um, does the writing on the ground is that part of the core story? It, 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 because he goes back to it and it's endemic to the whole account and it's found in every story yes he, he does it and then he goes back to it and once again he bent down and wrote on the ground yeah other ancient authorities add the sins of each of them but that's a rare that's not found often but that kind of reflects that same idea. And of course their response is perfect. When they heard it, and I would say when they read what he was writing, <laughs> when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders, the ones who realized, oof, you know, I've got a whole lot of sins. I may, my name might, they may not be written down there, it don't matter. I know I've got a lot of sins. It's got to be a Monty Python. Oh, they should have skinned that. Right, 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 right. Hold it. I got I'm not going <laughs> <it. laughs> You should let, you should, yeah, that would have been part of the life of Brian. Life of Brian, yeah. That would have been perfect. The wind comes up and it races. Got to do it again. Uh, Jesus straightened up and, and then notice they've left. They've all, they're all gone and just Jesus... Now, it made me a little nervous if I were Jesus and left in the presence of that woman alone. <laughs> but nevertheless... Uh, Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? 
She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Powerful statement. Very powerful statement. Now, first of all, it reflects Jesus' authority to forgive. It, regardless of, of, quite frankly, the sin. And he's forgiving a capital crime, according to the Torah. He's forgiving a capital crime. He's forgiving a capital crime. You, you can't get any steeper than that. And yet he does it without any question at all. Neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And from now on, do not sin again. It's a recognition that whatever she was doing was sin. But God's mercy is far more powerful than our sin. Neither do I condemn you. Go from not go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Go and sin no more. Thoughts? This little commentary said that was it that Jesus does not condone what she did. He just says, "Go and do it." That was very good of your commentators to put that. That's so sweet. Mm -hmm. That's so righteous. They want to make what? sure that like that was the like we could miss it. <laughs> Yeah, Jesus would condemn I don't it. think Jesus <laughs> said, that was a good thing you were doing, <laughs> woman. Good job. How much? That's right. I don't think that's what was going Did on. You died to the church. <laughs> I don't think that's what was going on. Bothered with that. Yeah. I, why do we assume this is a prostitute? Good question. Probably because she was caught in the very act of committing adultery. The very act of doing the event. In my commentary, or comment mm -hmm. down here says, so, uh, stoning was not in fact prescribed unless a woman was betrothed virgin. If she's a prostitute, she can't be a well, betrothed virgin. I mean, she might be betrothed, but she's Well, she's certainly not a virgin. <laughs> <laughs> but she it also says in the commentary right above that, and I bet it says in yours too, that they stretched the law. They yeah, it said, well, based, that's, it says that because, or at least in the commentary I wrote, because they didn't bring the man, number one. Oh. You know, because the, the law does say both of them need to be. Right. That, right. Although the man's is a little bit different than stoning. He killed anyway. The general interpretation was that this was an act, that, that she, was, she was an adulteress in the prostitution type way, repeated event kind of thing. And that's generally how it's interpreted. But it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Other At the beginning of it, it sounds like she was just generally known as an adulteress. But then it gives that very act of adultery, which is a specific event. I was wondering about the direct translation of what he said at the very end when he said, go now and um, the NIV says, leave your, leave your life of sin, which would confirm that, yes, she was a prostitute because that's a way of life where um, NAB says, from now on, sin no more. Do not sin again. Megatai amretene. Do not sin again. That would support what Lindsay said. But you said initially that adultery had, had something to do with the marriage contract, didn't it? Yeah, it does. With adultery is a violation of a marriage contract. Whereas prostitution... Could or could again, not. Again, again, may or may again, not. Again. It may just be fornication. Yeah. yeah. So it would seem to me this is I mean, adultery. I mean, 
prostitutes can be married. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> and the people that she has sex with are often married. So Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, good point. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. I think I think the, the adultery is the question, but it is a way of life though, because Mekate Amartene uh, the phrasing here is do not continue to sin. Don't do it again. As if it's something that she's been doing a lot of. Well, that doesn't yeah. necessarily imply, though, that she's been doing it with a lot of different guys. It could have been yeah. just over just and over the, with the same person. Over and over with the same Having an affair, guy. possibly. That could be. Kai apo tu nun meketai amretene. The, the the condition is one of 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 habitual or repeated action that is you're not to do anymore. It's something that you did. don't hear. Um, read your translation again. Um, go now and leave your life of sin. That's that's it's interpretive. Nice. Read the other. Uh, go from now on, sin no more. Sin no more. Well, that's the same basic concept. Do not do not sin again. Uh, this says, and from now on, do not sin again. It's, and it's the specific. It's, I mean, not just in general. I mean, it's. In in the uh, uh, talking about what he uh, when he was writing, in the commentary here, you know, Barclay says something to the effect that the Greek word to write is, and don't hold me to pronunciation here, graphem or graphine. Oh, I'm sorry, what now? For, to write. Oh, yeah, graphem is. But is the word used here is kata graphem, which means to write something against somebody. Uh, right. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. Verse 8. Egraphem. No, kata, kata kupes egraphem. And wrote again. Literally. Let me look at the earlier version. And when he kept on question. Um, okay, it's in the first, it's in verse 6 where it uses kata graphen, which literally means to. Um, to to write down assuredly or authoritatively. Yeah, he says here to write down a record against someone. So that would lead you to believe what you were saying about he was writing. The that's the basis. Of, that's probably the basis upon which Gregory the Great comes up with this statement that it's the names of her clients <laughs> or the people with whom she's been having adultery. Or has had adultery. Well, in Mark, he just says he's writing down people's names and the sins they've done. Yeah. Not necessarily with her. With or just in general. Yeah. It yeah. could be. Yeah. But it is, but, but that word, it means to say with assurance, with ultimate or, or total assurance or authority. Yeah. To make assertive statements is, to what the, is what that means. And this is not the first time he's shown his omniscience when... Um, who was underneath the tree thinking? Well, yeah, his omniscience. Yeah, that, that would reflect that whole mm -hmm. idea, which we've seen elsewhere, which is in conjunction with Johannine thought, by the way. Yeah. That's a Johannine idea, yeah. interestingly enough. But it's also something that's not entirely uh, unknown to us from the synoptics. In the synoptics, Jesus does at times uh, express or betray some degrees of omniscience. I can't believe it. Um, that's interesting. I've never seen that before. Second rendition is not as clear. It's not as clear at all. It's interesting because that can also mean 
not just write with assurance, but it can also mean to chart. You yeah. get cartography from the word. Hmm. Like he drew, maybe he drew their faces. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. From the first smiley face. <laughs> He did a winky here. I don't think so. Semicolon. I don't think so. This her RSV must be old because it doesn't have it in there. What does it have? That's completely left out. But it's not in. It's not in like the margin or at the bay bottom. You didn't find it anywhere. No. Let me see. Wait a minute. Yeah, there is. You found it at the bottom. It's found in your bottom. Yeah. But when you go found on your bottom, you might want to do something about that. Yeah, you may need to go see some of that. It's found in the, in the margin or at the bottom of the text. The RSV will often do that kind of thing. It'll take the, the question, like it does, does it with Mark. It'll take the, at the end of Mark, it'll take a passage like this and stick it into the, 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 the margin at the bottom of the page. I disagree with that method. That, that to me is much, too much of uh, heavy-handedness on the part of the translator and the editors. Leaving it in the canonical location makes it easier to follow the text through as other people will have it and know it. But I do think it's important to note, as my translation notes and other translations note, this is not original to the text. So It's an interesting story and it's an interesting fact that it's one of those passages that floats around. But uh, next week we'll pick it up with verse 12. Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. You have been listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal. Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2010 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.